Welcome to Park Ave Baptist Church Podcast. A weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I'm Himra Chanel, pastor of community engagement and stewardship. And I'm Darcy Jarrett, pastor of worship, advocacy, and arts. Park Ave is a bold, inclusive, and creative community where everyone is welcome. We uplift voices and identities that are marginalized elsewhere. We affirm all ethnicities, racial identities, ages, socioeconomic groups, gender identities, and sexual orientations because we hold to a theology that refuses to other anyone. At Park Ave, our leadership model is non-hierarchical. And we practice an open pulpit where you will hear a multiplicity of theologically trained voices from different backgrounds and social locations. We don't just preach and talk about deconstructing systems and structures of power. We We practice practice it. Through this podcast, we hope you will be inspired, encouraged, and challenged. Listen Listen with with us now. Park Avenue Baptist Church, in response to COVID-19, has suspended in-person worship, but that can't stop us. What you'll hear on this podcast is a recording of our online worship, which happens each Sunday at 10 a.m. Join us through our Facebook, at Park Ave Baptist, or our Instagram, at Park Ave Baptist. We hope that you stay safe in these difficult times. Next, we'll have a reading, um, a biblical reading, Luke 23, 13 through 25, by Miss Liz. Apologies, I was not ready because I thought I was out of reading today. So hang on one second, let me go to the, there we go. Okay, sorry guys. Hear this reading from the book of Luke, 23, 13 through 25. But with one voice, they shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison because of a riot that had occurred in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them again because he wanted to release Jesus. They kept shouting out, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, Pilate said to them, why? What wrong has he done? I found no legal basis for the death penalty in this case. Therefore, I will have him whipped, then let him go. But they were adamant, shouting their demand that Jesus be crucified. Their voices won out. Pilate issued his decision to grant their request. He released the one they asked for who had been thrown into prison because of a riot and murder, but he handed Jesus over to their will. The word of God for the people of God. Amen, amen. Good morning, everyone. It is a pleasure to be with you all once again. I really feel like family. I feel like I'd be, <laughs> I feel like, <laughs> I feel like this is like my like third time, um, but I'm in love with Park Ave. I'm in love with Darcy, with Pastor Henra. Um, those are my uh, homies in shade, as we said earlier today. <laughs> um, I just also, I wanna shout out our worship leader for today. That Those those songs have, uh, they've touched me in a way. I didn't, I didn't know I needed it, as we say, in my home church, so I'm thankful um, just to sit in this time with each of you. Um, 
I promise I won't be before you long. I know you hear a lot of Baptist folks say that, and I am a Black Baptist, and so we do have the tendency to talk long. But I promise you I will not be long because I am um, uh, brief, um, and the point has already been made. Um, I do want to bring a brief message with you all today. And so if you could uh, quickly, um, if you have your text with you, um, if you, we could all look at verse 19 again, and I'll read it uh, just for sake, but it says, Barabbas have been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. The message I would like to bring forth today is the story does not end there. Before I start, I, I wanna begin with a brief story. When I first moved to Atlanta um, a few years ago, I was a chaplain at Metro RYDC. And if you don't know what that is, it's a juvenile facility, not too far actually from where Park Ave is located. Um, and I served as a chaplain there. And I remember my first time entering the facility, um, which would be classified as maybe a medium security uh, facility. Um, as we go inside, you go inside these doors, they lock automatically behind you. You are padded down. You have to empty your pockets. You can't take your phone. Um, you can't take pencils or pens or any other uh, sharp objects. And as, we, as I remember being onboarded into this process, I remember the feeling of fear being installed into my heart about these people who I had no idea um, I will come into contact with about the men, or excuse me, the boys that were inside this facility as, as along with the young women. I remember the narrative being shaped about who these people were and what they had done before I had even met them. I remember uh, being told about certain uh, people to avoid and to stay away from and that those people just couldn't be helped. I remember going back into the unit, which is um, where they live and sleep and feeling intimidated and feeling anxious about what I was going to encounter. I remember actually walking into the unit and feeling the sense of overwhelmingness as that what am I to do here? What am I called to do here with these people who apparently cannot be helped? And as I started talking with the young man and they started filling me out and I'm filling them out, and we're joking with one another, I began to realize rather quickly that these were just kids. These were people, these were 13 and 14 and 15 year olds who were um, all black um, and most often came from poor communities, but they were kids. They did the same things that I did. They liked video games and they liked fast cars and they liked um, and talking about um, new shoes and whatnot. And I began to fight back the narrative that had been painted for me by this system that I was already in. That's how I entered the point of abolition. I entered into abolition in resisting what society had already scripted for me. Lately, society has finally been willing to engage in this conversation around abolitionists from churches to community groups, to universities. We're sitting in a moment where we're reckoning with the history of abolition and what it will take for freedom to exist in all parts of our society. 
But the truth is that abolition is something that we have always had to reckon with in this country. Abolition did not start recently. Abolition started eons ago. When we look at the first enslaved people who touched down on this continent, they were abolitionists. When we think of the indigenous people and the first Americans who were already here, they were abolitionists. Even when we think of the Quakers and the Calvinist community in the early colonies, they too were abolitionists. Abolition is rooted into this country as well as it's rooted into our faith. You see, when we look at the Bible, our Bible is an example of abolition. There are numerous examples of abolition that exist within our Bible, but I wanna look at one example closely that both honors the love that God has for each of us and that challenges us to rethink freedom and communal love. Barabbas. Now, you are more familiar with this biblical story than you know. See, Barabbas only appears briefly in the crucifixion narrative. Barabbas is a prisoner who was chosen by the crowd over Jesus Christ, who was to be released by Pontius Pilate, who serves as one of the governors for the district. And in this customary pardon before the Passover, they are accustomed to uh, allow a member to return to the community. But the odd part is we have no record of Barabbas after his release back into society. We can only speculate on his crime, which could have been anything from protests to murder to theft. We also can note that Barabbas is most likely the son of a prominent teacher or religious leader from his name, Barabba, meaning son of teacher in Aramaic. And this provides some insight into his his societal status. See, a teacher or a priest in this regard during this time period would be equivalent to someone of high profile in today's culture. But what we do know is certainly is that Barabbas was a convicted felon who had been released back into society. For many readers, this is where Barabbas's stories ends. It ends as an ex-felon who's been released back into society. But Barabbas shares an experience that many individuals who are returning from prison still face upon their exit from prison. Most often upon release, returning sentences meet an unforgiving society. Even after an individual has served their sentence, paid their fines, and, and completed their community service, their transition back into the society is still faced with barriers. And the biggest barrier of these is the criminal record. See, criminal records, or more commonly what me and you may call a rap sheet, provide a complete history of a person's arrestable offenses or any offense that requires you to be fingerprinted. Once something is on your criminal record, rarely can it be removed. Individuals with criminal records face challenging challenges finding and maintaining employment, uh, accessing safe and quality housing, participating in civic engagement, as well as a host of other things. Uh, many researchers will note that there are about 50,000 things that someone with a criminal record cannot do. And the odd part is that many of the countries that uh, pride themselves on being quote unquote Christian or Christian formed have some of the harshest um, laws in place for people with a criminal record. 
it would seem that for these Christian places, grace, forgiveness, and redemption, which are tenets of the Christian faith, fail to apply to individuals with a criminal record. In many ways, criminal records are the new scarlet letter. They equate a person's worth with the worst thing that they have ever done and create the moral stigma of a second class citizen. Shame, guilt, and embarrassment are common feelings associated with having a criminal record. And in this light, a criminal record is in direct contradiction with what me and you accept to be the religious teachings of the Christian faith. You see, many times when a person returns from prison, we treat them just like Barabbas. We assume that their story ends and that they can successfully integrate back into the world. We think that that chapter is closed and that they can proceed to live a life that is effective and contribute to society in ways that are meaningful to them. But in fact, their lives are starting over again. Just like Barabbas, they're gonna have to return to places that may not accept them. With a criminal record in many ways, it rewrites the life of the individual who holds them. Just like the cross, the criminal record is a symbol. It has a deeper meaning beyond its iconography. The rights and privileges that me and you are both born with are unilaterally scripted away just because a person has committed a quote unquote crime. And of course we know that this uh, crime um, can be anything and more or less crimes are gonna be con uh, convicted or bestowed upon those who are African-American or Brown. Regardless of the severity of an offense or even the duration of a sentence, a criminal record bars people from living life abundantly. They invalidate the teachings of Christ about the theology of sacrifice and redemption and grace. And it boils us down to what happens in one of the worst moments of our life. They reflect disapproval, immorality, and support the human desire to hold a grudge. But what does this or Barabbas have to do with abolition? How does his story provide a call to action for a religious rebellion? I think there are three actions here that we can take toward abolition that Barabbas teaches us. The first one, sacrifice is a requirement of abolition. This is plain for, my, for me that in order that others may be free, it may cost some of us the personal things in our lives that we hold dear. In this text, we see God, the community, and Pilate all interacting with one another in order to set a member of their community go. The crowd demands punishment, and Pilate, possibly in fear of losing control, gives into their demands. He decides to release Barabbas against his own wishes. But what's interesting here is that Jesus does not speak at all. Jesus does not protest his innocence and he actually has no lines during this dialogue. In this moment, both God and Jesus are deciding in this moment to sacrifice in order that Barabbas might live and have his freedom. In order for others to be free, you might have to sacrifice your own freedom. They may be some things in your life that you might have to go without 
so that other members of our community might be in community with us. Two, abolition only happens in community. One thing about this text I noticed instantly is what's driving the force of this dialogue of what people want is the community. The community has gathered and demanded from punishment. The community is applying pressure to its political leaders. The community is chanting, we want Barabbas. What this text demonstrates is that a strong community, in spite of whatever they're asking for, still has the, has the ability to demand what they want from their leaders. This community is made up of most likely people from different social classes or persons, but one thing unites them is their cause for Barabbas. I ask you, what if any causes would you and I unite for? What would you hold hands with me for and demand of our legislators in the name of our brothers and sisters? You see, abolition happens when both you and I stand and sing in unison and make our demands known. Abolition is an act of communal self-love. And it happens when communities realize that their power is rooted in each other and not in bureaucracy. Lastly, abolition requires us to think about how people return to communities. Barabbas wasn't just a criminal. He was a son. He was a member of the community and above all, he was a member of God's family. Barabbas is many of us today who are part of communities that don't quite understand us or those of us who don't quite fit in with the social communities that we were born into. But even still, God saw fit to save Barabbas and you and me. And I'm sure this crowd may have thought that Barabbas would have been happy to be free. But we can be sure that life was still difficult once Barabbas was released. One could imagine that his family didn't quite accept him when he returned home, or possibly his job had already replaced him. And since the entire community knew of his criminal record, his name was probably tarnished. There might not have been a place for Barabbas once he returned home. Yes, he was free from the brick and mortar prison, only to be placed in another one. And this is the prison that you and I must dedicate to disrupt. You see, this prison is the one that you and I have created and we staff in our minds. It's the one that tells you that you and I are better because of our place in society or because most likely we haven't been caught. If we wanna to commit to abolition, then we must commit to dismantle the physical barriers in society as well as the mental and social barriers. This requires us to think about how we welcome individuals who have made mistakes back into the village. A really quick story, I asked one of my good friends, his name is Matthew, he's a pastor in Uganda. Um, and <laughs> we were learning about the criminal justice system together and his mind was just blown. He hadn't heard of anything like it. He said, y'all literally throw people in cages for, you, for decades. And <laughs> we said, yes, apparently that's how reform happens. And we asked him, we said, well, how do you guys welcome people back into the village um, in your country? He says, we send them out into the wilderness. 
and we ask them to bring a gift back into the community. He said, this gift sometimes is an animal, sometimes it's a flower, sometimes, sometimes it's an article of clothing, but they have to return to the community with a gift, that no punishment is forever. This got me thinking about how do we welcome individuals back into the village? How did God welcome us back into the village after we made mistakes? Did God place us in, in an 11 by nine cell? Did God isolate us from family and friends and sunlight? Did God give everyone we know a list of all of our offenses to look at any time? Friends, the answer is no. In our journey to become practicing abolitionists, it's our journey on becoming better humans. It's important to remember that dismantling systems of oppression is rooted in our faith, that each of us has been adopted into this family of abolition because of those who have came before us. For some, it starts with the political imagination of Jesus that dared to imagine a world where everybody could be free. For others, it starts with people like Harriet Tubman or Harriet Jacobs, who are early Black women abolitionists. But regardless of where you are on this journey, I want to remind you that abolition isn't thinking about how we tear down societies, but it's thinking about how do we build them up again. Abolition is an act of self-love and an act of community love. And that is the beautiful work that we have been called to do, to dream about how we can make this world anew. Before I end, I want to share a quick story. I told y'all the first time I was here that I am a movie fanatic. I am doubly a, a, a book fanatic. And so anytime a book turns into a movie, I absolutely have to watch it. And so a few years ago, um, Brian Stevenson, um, uh, his book, Just Mercy, was adapted into a film. Um, and I love all things Brian Stevenson, to be honest. Uh, if I could meet somebody that is like top dog. Um, and so for those of you who haven't seen Just Mercy, it's a story about his time and his introduction into the death penalty litigation in Alabama. He, in this book, he shares stories about the inhumanity he witnesses in prisons, as well as himself being an African-American attorney in the Deep South. Uh, this film is packed with memorable, memorable moments, but one scene in particular stands out to me. Brian Stevenson is speaking at a church in support of one of his clients. Um, and while he's speaking to this church, he asks the church to do something. He asks the church to commit to becoming stone catchers. That instead of throwing stones to those who have sinned, that we catch the stones to block them from being harmed. You see, for Stevens, mercy is paired with action. It's the duty of the community to protect those who are most vulnerable from vengeance. Family, abolition is not something that we need to do, more or less talk or study. It's something we need to live. So my call to action is that we embrace the call to be stone catchers. We embrace the call to block the harm that will be done to our brothers and sisters on the inside and on the out. It's more than a sermon series. It's more than a TED talk, but it's how each and every day we get up in the morning and we live to be an abolitionist. Um, 
the famous poet Maya Angelou is, is quoted in saying uh, she's a practicing Christian that um, every day she does her best to be a Christian, but that is it ever attainable? Family, we need to embrace that same mindset as we think about abolition. That is something that we have to practice daily, that we have to live out on Zoom for the moment and, in, and when we're together, that this is something that we must do both together and apart. And I'll end with a quote by one of my somewhat favorite scholars, Mr. Niebuhr. He says this, love is the motive, but justice is the instrument. As we think about abolition, let's remind it that abolition is rooted in love, but it is also a tool for justice. God bless you, Park Avenue. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Baptist Church podcast. If you'd like to worship with us in person, our services are on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m.-ish. We are at 486 Park Ave in Southeast Atlanta across the street from Grant Park at the corner of Park Ave and Sydney Street. To find out more about us or get in touch, visit our website at parkavebaptist.com. Now go into a world that is too often unjust, knowing that the God that created you loves you and empowers you to love boldly, live inclusively, and serve creatively. Creatively.